everyone, and welcome to another episode of My Climate Diet, the podcast where I'm shedding the pounds of greenhouse gas emissions. I'm Lisa Pettibone, and I'm finally back from a summer break I spent running in circles. I hope you had a great summer and kept off your climate pounds. Nothing like fitting into that climate bikini at the beach. I've heard from several listeners who've decided to travel by train instead of airplane, changed to a green bank, or made their own deodorant. I'm so proud of you. These are the things that really make my day and make me so glad to be doing this podcast and be on this journey with you. So keep it up and keep me in the loop. I love hearing about successes and even failures. This month, I want to look at junk and how it relates to climate change. I just spent four weeks in a small town in northern Germany helping my husband clean out his family's house. And the mounds of junk we had to go through, the boxes, drawers, and entire rooms full of odds and ends, made me think there has to be a better way. So I want to talk about what this acquisition means for the planet and how to deal with the junk that's already in our lives. This week, I'm starting big by looking at junk in the context of the circular economy. But wait, what the heck is the circular economy? Annie Leonard has illustrated how junk enters our lives and what it means for the planet in her excellent video, The Story of Stuff. If you haven't seen it, check it out. She points out a big problem that's keeping us from reducing our carbon and our environmental footprint is the shape of the economy. Right now, most of our consumption looks like a line. It begins in the natural world, where materials are extracted. Oil is taken out of the ground, animals are plucked or sheared, trees are chopped down. After extraction, these raw materials are turned into useful things for us. Oil goes into our cars, plastic toys and packaging. Wool and down are turned into stuffing for our jackets. A tree can become a bookcase to hold books made from other trees, and so on. We buy these things to use or consume, and when they're no longer useful, they become junk. This is the part I dealt with firsthand the last few weeks. It's also the most visible place to determine the shape of our economy. If we throw our junk in the trash, that product's life is just like Annie Leonard noted. It's a straight line. Oil becomes a Batman toy, goes to the trash bin. Wool is an itchy sweater, goes to the landfill. Tree, book, incinerator. You get the idea. But if we recycle our junk or give it to a friend, then we've turned that line into a circle. Now, ideally, there's one cup of oil that doesn't need to come out of the ground, one tree that doesn't need to be cut down, because one thing that already exists is being used again. And the more things we can reuse, the fewer things we need to make again. All of the things that go from being junk back into use somewhere else are part of the circular economy. This is the end goal for Michael Browngart and William McDonough, product designers who came up with the concept of cradle to cradle. Here, things are designed not from cradle to grave, 
to break down and be replaced, but to be reused indefinitely. Their motto, waste is food. I thought about this a lot as I helped clean out an enormous house full of seemingly endless quantities of junk. It was challenging because most of the things in the house weren't obviously trash. Although we did find used cotton swabs, broken electronics, and a pile of raccoon poop in the attic. We recycled nearly 40 bags of paper, plastic, and glass. But mostly, the house was full of useful things, things we didn't want to just throw away. Things like medical gauze, bird cages, lawnmowers. Decades of TV magazines, numerous closets of clothes, several sets of dishes, multiple vacuum cleaners, a microwave still in its original packaging. We didn't need these things, but someone might. So I saw my challenge this past month as trying to get as many of the things in the house into new homes or into new things that could be used again. So the first step was looking through everything for things we could use. We brought back a huge bag of soap, shampoo, and toothpaste. I made iced tea from the various sorts of tea still in the kitchen, and smoothies from raspberries in the freezer. We found baby clothes in my son's size, as well as enough toys for an entire childhood in the attic. But sometimes we got creative. I found an entire drawer of unused greeting cards and postcards for specific occasions like a child's confirmation. I've never been to a child's confirmation, and I don't think I ever will. I used these to write my husband letters the week I came back to Berlin alone to work. So here, something that could have been recycled, I ended up using directly. So really a lot of my ability to find uses for things like this started by stretching my imagination, using them in a slightly different way from what was intended. But if I had to guess, I'd say we saved several hundred euro by taking in or consuming things we would have had to buy otherwise. It's hard to come up with specific climate figures, but I would suspect that from reusing things that we found, we've saved at least half a ton of carbon ourselves. This didn't work for everything. And we obviously couldn't take everything from an 800 square meter house back to our 80 square meter apartment. So how did we turn our trash into someone else's treasure? How did we deal with the dozen house plants, the old tools, the pots and pans? That's what I want to talk about next week. I'm going to sit down with my husband and we'll share practical tips on how to turn the junk in your life into treasure in someone else's. What's giving me hope this week? The German bank I switched my account from in June just announced a big sustainability initiative. So I'm now no doubt saving less carbon in comparison to that bank than I had planned by switching banks. But more people are saving more carbon even without switching. And I'm up for that. Thanks for listening. I recently got a lovely note from Jeff Rose at the University of Utah. He says, hi, Lisa, just wanted to send you a quick note of thanks and appreciation. I just found your podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I really like how it's action-oriented and generally positive outward-looking. Many of the suggestions I'm already doing, and I'm learning new ones every episode. A bamboo toothbrush? Yes! 
One of the things I'll be doing this coming fall semester is using your podcast as part of an assignment. In the assignment, my students have to take on a new behavior for two weeks that leads to increased health, justice, or sustainability. I always try to provide students with examples of behaviors they can undertake. Now, I'll simply suggest listening to your podcast and checking your website as an idea for what they can do. Thanks for the inspiration and the background sourcing of the material. In the meantime, I'm spending my energy trying to rearrange my personal banking and investments here in the U.S. Keep up the great work, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. And if any of Jeff's students or any other students are listening to this podcast and have ideas or feedback for me, I'd love to hear it. Thanks also to David from Kvens for letting me use his music. And thanks to you too. Since I got back from my summer of house cleaning, I've been humbled by how many people listen to this podcast. This has been a labor of love for me, and I appreciate you giving me a listen. Feel free to drop me a line with your climate tips, things you like or don't, or just a kind word at lisa at myclimatediet.org. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lisa Pettibone. And don't forget to rate My Climate Diet on Apple Podcasts. That makes it easier for others to find me and start their own climate diet. Because if everyone went on a climate diet, it wouldn't be the end of the world. <laughs>